Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Just a quick, in, a quick kind of recap or introduction to what we're about to look at. Uh, we are still in the month, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus stood on the mountain and speak and teach to his disciples uh, as there were others around listening to what he was saying. And he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus is aware of the misunderstanding that they're, they're having and, and about the law, right? They, we, we see Jesus many times over and over again continue to, to call out the Pharisees and the scribes because of their ideas and their views of, of the law and how to live. It was wrong. So he's aware that the disciples themselves were being taught something that was untrue. So uh, Christ then starts to tackle the lack of understanding in regards to the law. Because through time we have seen many, many times again how we think that we can either discard the law or that we have to live by the law religiously, right? We, we were talking about last week how some people say, hey, no, we're in the New Testament. Jesus came. The law is the Old Testament. Therefore, we don't need to worry about it anymore. Live however you want to live. That's fine. He's going to save you anyways. And then there's some that say, hey, no. You have to do everything the law says, therefore you won't be saved. But Jesus says it's neither, because you can't separate the law and the gospel. You can't have one without the other. They both work together. You can't have good news if you don't have bad news, right? And then you can't have bad news if you don't have good news. There's no such thing. And to understand and to grasp the full gospel, you got to start from the beginning, and the beginning is the law. You cannot separate them. So Christ then writes this laws in your heart so you can have a desire to live according to the will of God which is reflected to the law. Once He changes that in you, once He enters your heart, once He changes who you are, you're born again, He writes these laws in your heart. And that's how you're able to have those desires to actually do what God is asking us to do because otherwise we just want to do whatever we want, right? That's why Jesus said our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes. We must have a real understanding of the laws. That's what he's saying. The, the Pharisees are living the law in a certain way. We must understand the real meaning of the law. And I don't know whether it's with the lack of knowledge altogether, maybe just a, an unwillingness, right? Maybe they just weren't willing to understand it. But the Pharisees treated the law differently than it was intended to. You know, they, you're going to see a lot today how they added their own ideas to the law, their own understanding. They, they made assumptions. They added things who, that, that was a convenient for them. They lived this religious life based on just the law. The focus was follow these laws, and they forgot it was follow God. And of course, when you have this thing, you... 
you go through this process, and in the process, you kind of start losing the focus of what the law really is, because now all of a sudden, the focus is on your understanding and what you want it to be. So that's what happens, and that's what uh, Jesus is doing today. And we know that this is not an issue that's only limited to them. I mean, you look back in history, even now ourselves, it's so easy to take this word out of context. It's so easy to just make up our own ideas and our own understanding and say, well, that's what God is telling me, so therefore I'm going to do that. Right? It's so easy. We've seen this throughout many ages. A lot of wars have happened because of this. We've had many bad things because we want to have our own understanding of God's word. So, of course, whatever Jesus is about to say today is going to apply to us. It's not applying just to them. It applies to us as well. So now then Jesus continues to clarify the law that they've been wrongly hearing for many years. But we have to remember a few things. Jesus wasn't contradicting the law. What Jesus was doing here wasn't changing the law. He wasn't modifying the law. He wasn't removing or adding anything to the law. He was just clarifying the law because, of course, they did not understand it. You're going to see a lot <coughs> of, of times where the Pharisees took those laws and they actually literally took it out of context. You're going to see that. You're going to see how the Pharisees were known to do that. And Jesus is all he's doing is clarifying. They changed things to fit their own agenda. But all he was doing is just clarifying what they've been teaching them all these years. All these years in the past, they've been teaching the law wrong. So Jesus is trying to just clarify the law. So by no means he's adding or changing anything. You know, and as we go to the rest of this chapter, you're going to see every time Jesus speaks about specific command or specific law, we're going to look at about five of them really quick. We're not going to go into details because we can be here literally all day on just one. So I'm not going to go into heavy details on any of them. But as you're going to see the laws and the commands that Jesus brings up, he's going to point out what they've been hearing. He first tells them, this is what you're hearing. This is what you've been hearing for a long time now, right? Then he's going to tell them, this is the truth. This is the clarification. This is the real understanding. And then he's going to tell us how we put this together and we can kind of live out and go about this loss. So let's, let's get started because there's a few of them. Uh, we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. And it says, you have heard that it was said to, to those of old, you should not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the consul. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I mean, what Jesus is saying here is not just something to just take and be like, okay, well, ah, all right, I shouldn't murder. No, this is heavy stuff that he's saying here. He's talking about you should not murder. That was the law that they were used to hearing, right? And you, could, you can find that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. I'm not going to read it. You can read it at home. And this is about taking someone's life, right? That's when you say do not commit murder is taking someone's life, not in self-defense. It's you going up to somebody and taking their life. Somebody's coming at you, and you have to defend yourself. 
and they so happened to die. It's one of, uh, one of those uh, teachers I had when we were taking those concealed license. He told me, you know, you don't kill him. He killed himself. The moment he tried to, you know, take your life, he took his own, right? So it's not murder. Self-defense is not, and you can ask Alex, by definition, it is not murder, okay? So self-defense is not murder. So he's talking about taking the life of someone. And what they were teaching, that it was not, they weren't teaching that it was wrong. Well, they were, te- they were not teaching that it was wrong to murder. They were teaching that it's, it is good to murder. I'm sorry, I'm mixing those up. Yeah, you get what I'm saying, right? But that's how far it will go, right? That's what they were saying. Yes, murder is wrong, but that's how far it should go. So that means that you can do something to your brother or say something to your brother as long as you're not killing them. So you can insult him if you have to. If he does something to you and you want to insult him and curse them out, go ahead. You're saying, fine. Go ahead and curse them out. Go ahead and tell them whatever you got to say to them. But... Just to murder them. That's what they were teaching. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching them. Don't kill someone. Don't commit murder. But go ahead if you have to offend them. Do what you got to do. Whatever you got to do, whatever word you got to say, say it. Just do it. Just don't murder that person. You're like, wow, that's pretty, you know. We're we're known to just saying what we think, right? I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends that just, you know, they, they say whatever they think, and right? They, yeah, you know? But Jesus is going to clear that understanding. Jesus is saying that this law goes beyond the physical act of just committing murder. He's saying, well, we're not talking about just murder, physically murdering something. This goes deeper. This is goes inside yourself. They understood the law as just an external performance. But Jesus brings it back to a matter of the heart. That's where it starts. Before you can even murder somebody, it starts here. It starts in your heart. If you hate someone so bad to commit murder, that's starting from inside. So before you even do that, look at the inside. It starts from within. Though it starts with, with those who have Murderers intent in the heart, they are also liable to judgment. So it's not just about the act, it's also about every word and every thought that seeks to destroy someone's life. It starts within when you start disliking somebody, when you start hating somebody, when you want to curse them out, when you want to disrespect them. That's where it starts. That's committing murder right off the back. So if you're going to be like, okay. Wow, that's pretty strong, right? And, and don't get me wrong. Jesus is not saying that murder and, you know, cursing somebody out is the same thing. We know that the penalty for uh, murder is completely different than it is for you saying something bad about your friend, all right? Or, or you know, or disrespecting somebody. The penalties are completely different, right? One goes to jail. The other one just, you know, now you don't have a friend. And we also know that there are times there that there is such thing as righteous anger, right? There are times that, yeah, your anger is righteous. It's okay to be angry at that point, right? Jesus has never at any point said you should never be angry. Be happy all the time. No, that's an emotion he gave us. 
There's nothing wrong with being angry. But we have to be careful what we do with it. That's what Jesus is saying. It starts within. Jesus is saying that the law condemns both unrighteous anger and murder. He's saying both of those are sin. If you're angry towards your brother, it's just like committing murder unrighteously. Of course, it's not. There's a reason to be angry, by all means. They're both sins, and the law is not restricting it to just physical acts. The law is not saying just don't commit physical murder. No, it goes beyond that. So then he continues. He goes, you look at chapter 5, verse 27, 28. Then he says, you have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, lustful intent has already committed adultery within her, with her in his heart. So the laws that they've been known to teach is not to commit adultery. And it's been debated for many years of the actual definition of adultery in this verse, right? But by the way it's explained and it's put in words, we know it's referring to a uh, sexual intercourse with someone, right? And that at least one person involved in this specific verses, we're talking about someone, at least one person married to somebody else. So they're going to be like, you know, uh, your husband cheating on you with another uh, woman or you cheating on your husband with another. It doesn't matter. As long as there's one person involved that's married, right? That's in this specific. I'm not saying that, you know, you sh oh, if there are two singles, you can, you know, you can do whatever you want. No, no, that's not the case. Let's stay here. Let's focus on this one, right? But either way, whatever intention is really, whatever definition is, is a physical sexual act outside of marriage. So what they were teaching is that as long as you didn't physically do anything with someone who was not your spouse, everything goes. That's fine. You can lust after a woman as long as you don't do nothing. You can have, you know, have your imagination go wild. That's fine. Go ahead. Just don't do nothing. Just keep it in here. Keep it in here. That's what he's saying. Keep it in your heart. Keep it in your mind. That's what they would teach. So look, lust, fantasize. Turn on the internet. Watch porn if you want. That's fine. As long as you don't do nothing. I think I'm good. If not, I'll just do this one. So yeah, that's what they were teaching. 
just don't do nothing, right? Have all those feelings that you want. It's okay. Doesn't do nothing. But then Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed murder, has already committed uh, adultery. So just your thought, just your feelings had already made you sin already. That's what Jesus is saying. So not only is adultery a sin, lustering after someone within their own heart and mind and eyes is already committing adultery already. So this is not just about the external physical action. This problem goes way deep inside. Again, Jesus is not saying that they're both the same thing, right? For what he is saying is that they are both sin. And they are both prohibited by the command against adultery. It includes both. So the Pharisees like to pick out things. Say, no, okay, eh, this is what it means. Let's take it literal like that. Let's take that literal. But Jesus is saying, no, don't take it like they're taking it. This goes beyond that. It goes not only physically doing it, it goes emotionally, it goes with your thoughts, it goes with what you're thinking. And again, to be clear, we're not talking about just this uh, casual, right? Oh, you know, I walked into the bathroom and somebody was naked. Oh, I'm sin, I'm going to hell. No, this is a sinful, it's a constant living of you looking at a woman, right? And being constantly, wow, you know, every time a woman passes by. And it could be the same thing for men. I remember, this goes both ways. Because I, I know men have a ish, bigger issue with that. I know, I get it, I'm a guy. But that doesn't mean that women don't have this problem. So just because Jesus is saying, you know, and he's being specific, men and women, doesn't mean that women don't have that problem. He's talking to both. that lifestyle and, and that sinful desire to continue to always look and fantasize about stuff that you shouldn't be anyways. Both of that, the physical and the thought, are both sin. So he continues, right? Because now Jesus goes into a little bit more controversial issue. You look at verses 31 and 32. He said, it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And this is a big one. Remember, these people were taking out these things out of context and making it fit their own agenda. So, of course, why wouldn't they take this, right? The law of divorce, you can find it in uh, the Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. But the problem here was because of their lustful desires and, and maybe even or, or a lack of understanding or, or, of, or even wanting to understand their verses. Um, many took that as for any reason it was good to divorce. So you didn't feel like it to be without a woman anymore because you just didn't like something about her, go ahead, divorce her. That was their understanding. Whether it's because they wanted to be that understanding, whatever the reason was, they were saying, as long as you didn't want it anymore, go ahead, get rid of her. It's even said that he got to a point that they would divorce their wives if they burned the breakfast. They were like, oh, she can't cook. Imagine that. 
Uh, she, she, those pancakes didn't taste so good this morning. Oh, that scrambled eggs was way too dry. See, I like my scrambled eggs a little bit runny, just a little bit. Just, just a little bit, just a tad. But my wife likes them like dry. And when she makes them, I'm like, whoa, that's kind of dry. Imagine her going, <laughs> your breakfast sucks. Let's get a divorce. <laughs> to understand. They made the law loose as if they, you know, they wanted it depending on how much they wanted to discard of their current wife. They just loosen up the law, right? If you want to divorce your wife, that's okay. What didn't you like about her? Oh, her breakfast sucks. Okay, that's good enough. That's what they were teaching. I mean, they already misunderstood the law of adultery, right? So just, you know, imagine, right? Now you're, you're in that imagination when you're imagining things now. You're watching way too much stuff that you shouldn't be. And then when that starts to happen, now you start taking actions because that desperation of yours uh, it's going to allow you, it's going to push you to make things and do things that are going to lead to wanting to try out new things, if you know what I'm talking about. So, of course, let's loosen up the law. That way, when, when those fascinations of mine kick in and those desires kick in, I can just get rid of my wife and go find the one that's a lot more prettier or makes a better breakfast. For here's generality, not anything that the wife might do to displease the husband. So he's saying, unless she commits adultery, you cannot divorce. You know, if you want someone younger or someone, you know, prettier, somebody that fits more of that imagination and, and, and those fantasies that you have, just because you want someone like that, that's not grounds for divorce. That goes both ways again. It's not just one way. That's not grounds for divorce. And you know, and I know there's many, you know, exceptions. Oh, I didn't want to, but she did. Boom. I get it. Okay. This is, that's another conversation. We're going to have that conversation later if you want. But understand the context. Let's not take it out of context. The context is that they were teaching what? You can divorce your wife if you just feel like it. Right? But he's saying, no, that's not the case. So then he continues. Verse 33 says, again, you have heard that it was said to those old, you should not swear falsely, but, you sh but by heaven, for it is the same, for it is the throne of God. Sorry. You know, I was taught not to swear. Little my mom said, no, I'll never swear. Don't swear. That's bad. God doesn't like when you swear. Until this day, I, I try. I don't remember the last time I swore anything. But even then, those principles that were taught to me were not necessarily the principles that Jesus is talking about. And what Jesus is addressing, you can find, is, is the law found in Numbers 30, verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees had twisted around the law, allowing to take everyone other than the name of God as false oath. So basically what they were saying is, hey, don't swear to God. Swear to something else that's not God. Because if you decide that you don't want to do it no more, you could just back out. And you didn't swear to God. So therefore you didn't break a law. 
So swear on yourself. Swear on your friend or your arms or your body parts. Swear on something else that's not God. Because I think it's easy for them and for us, of course, to forget that God is part of every oath. But it's important what Jesus is trying to say here. He's not saying make sure you swear properly. He's not saying if you're going to swear, swear right. He's not saying don't swear. He's not saying it's okay or not okay to swear. He's saying let your yes be yes and your no be no. So he's saying whatever you say, whatever you promise you're going to do, do it. Whatever it is, do it. A person who's true to the word doesn't ever need to swear. If your word means something, people are going to believe you. If you're constantly having to swear to your friends, I swear I'm going to be there. Don't worry. I swear. I swear I'm going to go. I swear. Don't, don't worry. This weekend I'm going to go be there. I swear. Your word means nothing because you shouldn't leave you. You don't have to swear. Right? But if you're constantly having to swear, that means your words mean nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying. Let your words be true. And, and of course, I wanna I wanna make sure you understand that there are times that we, we are going to have to swear or make oaths, right? If you're a doctor, if you become a doctor, policeman, right, you're asked to to take an oath, right? If you go to court. Right? You're going to testify. You have to swear in. Right, So Jesus is definitely not saying, hey, never swear. But it shouldn't take an oath for people to believe you. It shouldn't take an, a swear for people to actually believe what you're saying. Your swear oath does not make what you're saying doable. You want to take an oath to care about people doesn't require that oath. You should want to care about people before you take that oath. You should naturally want, okay, I didn't take an oath. If there wasn't no oath, I'm still going to take care of people. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. So he continues. Verse 38. If you heard that it, what was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This, was, this is one thing that I think we all struggle with, right, is revenge. I mean, I can't tell you how many times somebody cuts me off when I'm driving in one of those really nasty cutoffs where it's like, wow, he, this guy almost hit my car, right? And all of a sudden, my head, just like a movie, man, this car whip just blows up in front of me. Body parts go everywhere, right? It turns into a movie because we have this desire to see that, you know, being paid already at the moment. Saying, okay, he did something wrong. I want to see his punishment myself. So they were teaching Messiah law did teach an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a tooth. But here is what the problem was. This was supposed to be a type of government thing where it says you steal. The punishment has to fit the crime. Right. Whatever it was, whatever wrong you did, the punishment has to fit that. That's what they were talking about. But of course. Over time, they took this law out of context and made it more personal. 
It was almost like a personal obligation. That if somebody would insult you, you should insult them right back. If somebody would do something to you, do it right back. That's how they took it. As of out of context, they took it. It was no longer left for the courts and the right people to do something about it. Now you can bring justice upon yourself. So, of course, Jesus brings it back into context. But we have, right? Jesus does not mean a physical attack cannot be retaliated upon. Right? We talked about this a little while ago. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that we do not personally retaliate. There are times where we just have to let things go. For example, when you, when you see Jesus speaks about slapping your, uh, your cheek, your right cheek, that's actually, it's not literal. He's not talking about literally. Somebody slaps you in the cheek, turn the other one so they can slap you on the other one. We have to understand that when Jesus says that, he's talking about that's an insult. That's what they refer to as insulting. It was insulting to slap somebody on the cheek. So he's saying, somebody insults you, let it go. Let the insult. example, how many times did people do stuff to Jesus and said things about Jesus and cursed Jesus out and spit at him? How many times did he retaliate? None. Spurgeon says, yet, even in a country where justice can be had, we're not to resort to law for every personal wrong. We should rather endure to put upon than be forever crying out, I'll bring an action. We shouldn't be constantly going after retaliation and paying people back for the things they're doing. Sometimes we have to let things go. And then the last things that Jesus says, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this was indeed true. This part wasn't wrong. You should love your enemy. But just like before, they added their own agenda to this. They made an assumption. If you have to love your neighbor, then I guess you got to hate your enemies. Right? Because Jesus didn't say it. God didn't say it. Right? Just because you didn't say it, you want to add your own stuff to it. Right? If you love your neighbor, then assume that you got to hate your enemies. Right? It makes sense. Right? In your mind, you think it makes sense. And, of course, they benefited from that, right? They always hated and looked down on those who were not circumcised. If you're not Jew like them, they easily hated you, and they took that. Well, you're not my neighbor. You're my enemy, so therefore I'm going to hate you. Jesus is going to remind them. He's reminding them. We just don't add because he doesn't say we add our own opinions to it. No, we don't do that. The law says, love your neighbor. Okay, what about my enemies? Remember Jesus asked, he was asked himself by the Pharisees, who is my neighbor? Right, because he even answered that. He said, well, 
Love your neighbors. Okay, but who's my neighbors? What does basically Jesus says? Everyone is your neighbor. So if everyone is your neighbor, then there is no space for hating your enemies. Because everyone, if everyone's everyone, then there is no enemies, right? You cannot group two things if everyone is your neighbor. He says, love your neighbor. That means there's no space for hating your enemies. Jesus understood we will have enemies. He had many enemies. But yet we are to respond to them in love the same way. Which is everyone, including our enemies. And I know there's a lot of stuff here that I left out. I get it. You know, we just quickly went through a few that Jesus mentioned. You know, the law to me is one of the most difficult things to preach about because there's just so much context. Just historically wise, there's just so much to it. You know, I don't think I've even begun to scratch the surface on those, but I do encourage you to go deeper in your own, right? Go home, study these laws more in details, study them, understand them. Because if you look what Jesus says in Matthew's same chapter 5, verse 48 at the end, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And be like, wow, I mean, it's <laughs> a lot, right? says we should be holy like he is holy and I know we can't even be ever and he knows that we can ever be perfect we can never that's why these are standards for evaluating the kingdom of God but not the standard to enter the kingdom of God only God is perfect only he's able to fulfill the law and he did so in the persons of Jesus. And because he did so, we have inherited righteousness. And with this inheritance, the law is written in our hearts. So we can't just divide them. We just can't delete them. We can't just religiously live through them because we can't. But you did something wrong to your brother. You must reconcile with your brother. And if you go back to that section, you could see there's, there's an urgency. The way God is speaking, he say, do it quickly. You have something against your brother, resolve it quickly. You've done something to your brother, resolve it quickly. Before you have to pay for what he was done. And he's talking about a future. He's talking about eternal condemnation. You always hate your brother. You never reconcile with your brother. You ain't getting in. It's as simple as that. So he's saying, do it quickly. He's more concerned with your relationship with your brother than your religious duties. And you can see that when he speaks of that uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me tell you, the Good Samaritan had something to do that day. Neighbor. And 
I know this may press some buttons because sometimes we think that just because we're serving in the church, right? Just because we're, we're here coming on Sunday, just because we're here doing things and, and helping everybody out, that it's okay for me to, you know, say things to my brother. It'll be fine because I'm serving in the church. No, he says, make it right with your brother before you bring an offering to God. Make it right before you say, I'm going to serve. Make it right before you do anything for God. Make sure you're okay with your brother. This also means that we must do whatever it takes not to fall into those lustful desires. You know, Jesus is not being literal when he says, you know, if you must take your eyeball out, take it out. You must cut your hand, cut it. It's not being literal, but he's saying, do whatever it takes. If you have an issue where you have this tendency to quickly lust over women and you know there's a street club down here where you can get drunk quickly but you continue to pass by the club, go around. Do whatever it takes. Carson says, imagination... It's a God-given gift, but if it's fed dirt by the eye, it will be dirty. All sin, not the least sexual sin, begins with the imagination. Therefore, what feeds the imagination is of maximum importance in the pursuit of the kingdom of righteousness. Just because you're not doing something physically doesn't mean those things that you are thinking about are not going to condemn you. Well, I'm not physically cheating on anyone or 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 having sin. No, you're condemned before because of those thoughts. So do whatever it takes be you know, it's better to lose that's what's trying to, to tie you and, and tying you to sin. It's better to lose that and to lose your whole soul because you never gave it up. Do whatever it takes. This means also stay true. To the oath that you've made to your spouse. God recognizes your marriage, not by what the state says. Say, well, you know, the state said I can get a divorce. Doesn't matter. The state doesn't go over God. God recognizes your marriage. Be careful with those selfish desires. Because they're going to drive us to commit adultery. Be careful. Pay attention. It means be true to your words. Don't think that because you didn't swear to God that you can go back on your word. And if you don't know already, we're always in the presence of God. So anything we say is like swearing to God. Even if you don't swear to God, you, God is there. He's seeing everything you're saying. Be Truthful to your word. Every promise we give anyone, every word we speak, we do it before God. So keep true to your word, your promises. It also means that we don't take the law into our own hands. If you're insulted, 
you're put to shame, spit out, humiliated. Let it go. Part away with anything that can take legally from you. Sometimes we, we want to fight that with them. Go beyond what is required of you. And do it with love. Do not make your rights the basis of your relationship with others. Be prepared to take the position of a humble servant. Be prepared to pay the price for imitating the example of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. He had all rights to call legions of angels. And he just took the punishment. And finally means love your neighbor. Even if he hurts you. Even if they hurt you. Even if you can't depend on them. Even if they keep continuing to let you down. Even if, even if they can't pay you back for whatever it is that you gave them. You help them, but they never help you. Even if they don't love you back. Even if they talk bad about you. In a time where the world only knows love is, is those who agree with their agenda. That's what love is. You love me because you agree with my agenda. You agree with my ideas, therefore you love me. And if you don't, you don't love me. In a world that we live in like this, We love not like the world loves, but we love like God loves. It doesn't matter if you agree with me or, or you like my political views or not. It doesn't matter. Love. I mean, we've all been judged by the law and we have all, every single one of us has fallen short. There's not one of us here or anywhere that hasn't. But in Christ, we are made new. And the great thing about the gospel is that we are free from having to fulfill this law in Him. We must live our lives focused on who He is and what He has done already. And though it's nev we're never going to be perfect, and though we're never going to fulfill this law perfect and do everything perfectly the way He wants us to, He's still going to give us a desire to walk according to His will. He's still going to give us a desire to try to fulfill these laws as much as we can. Not because that's how we're going to get into heaven, but it's because what He already did for us. And we do this because of what He did for us first. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church.